0: Uh, We started a new series last week, and we're going to take a break from the series just for one week uh, to talk about small groups today. And so um, at Fellowship, uh, kind of the main way we uh, help you grow in your faith is uh, through the small groups. So we have uh, Sunday morning service that you can come to, and really the only other avenue of discipleship that we have primarily is through the small groups. Uh, We want you to do church not only around a stage, but also around a table. Uh, in homes, in smaller groups, uh, during the week. And so uh, twice a year, we dedicate a Sunday to encouraging everybody to join a small group. And so uh, today, I'm gonna give you my best argument and try to convince you to join up, to become part of a small group. And anytime, uh, during the message, we have, the, you if you, could, did you, were these in your seats today? Could you uh, rate, put them in the air and wave them like you just don't care? Good, awesome. Uh, anytime during the message, you can tear off the tear-off tab and sign up for a group. The list of all of our groups are on this little card, and so you can fill this out, indicate which group you want to join, and then put it in the offering box in the back. So, why should I join a small group? There's a, lo- there's a lot of reasons why you might not want to. Uh, maybe you're an introvert. And you're thinking to yourself, if I sign up for a small group, I might have to, uh, meet new people and I might actually have to talk to another human. Uh, I'm not going to do that. You know, and if, if you're an introvert, believe me, I understand your plight. Uh, maybe you're just super busy, you know, and it's, and it's enough for you just to carve out space to come to church on Sunday morning. Right, This is all that you can do. And I know that there are seasons of life where we do get really busy and it is hard to become a part of a small group, but uh, maybe that's you. You just don't have time. There's so many things that you have to do. Or maybe you've been hurt in the past and relationships have always been hard for you. Uh, getting close to people and meeting people is not easy for you. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why you might be here not uh wanting to join a small group uh but but let me um let me try to convince you uh let me give you a practical reason first of all loneliness is an epidemic in our world so in the UK this past year uh, loneliness has reached such an epidemic uh, proportion that the prime minister Theresa May has literally appointed a minister of loneliness to be part of her cabinet and this person does nothing but try to figure out how to connect people in in um, in the UK In our country, the former uh, U.S. Surgeon General recently wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review called Work and the Loneliness Epidemic, and he says that the most common pathology that that he sees as a doctor, he said it's not cancer, it's not heart disease, it's not diabetes, he says the most common pathology is loneliness. He says loneliness hurts more people than smoking 15 packs of cigarettes a day. He says it just crushes the soul. So there's a practical reason why we think it's so important to get people connected in smaller groups where you actually know somebody and people know you. But today I want to talk to you about a more theological reason, a more biblical reason, and it all goes back to something Jesus said many, many years ago. Many, many years ago, Jesus Christ said something that is sort of the heart behind why we think relationships are so crucial to being a, a disciple uh, and a follower of Christ. He said something a long time ago, and we're gonna look at what he said here this morning that sort of drives our desire to get people into these smaller communities. It's in John chapter 13. And it's like I said, it's in the verses we just read. And uh, before we get into it, let me set the context here. So this is, uh, this is the very end of Jesus' life. And th- these, these are his last moments with his disciples and they're in an upper room, kind of an upstairs apartment. They're in Jerusalem, and uh, he has just eaten the Passover meal with his 12 disciples. He shared a meal with them. Judas has just left the room to go betray Jesus, and these are his final moments, these are his final words. And when you say your final words, uh, they're, they're crucial, aren't they? I mean, nobody's gonna waste their words at the very end of your life. So when, when, at life. If you're saying your final uh, words to your disciples, you are gonna choose your words carefully. And what are the words that Jesus says? Well, this is uh, verse 33. He says, little children, yet a little while I will be with you. So I'm leaving, I'm not gonna be with you very much longer. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. So I'm leaving. You can't follow me this time. I'm not coming back, at least not immediately. And then he says in verse 34, a new, and this is it, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The final words on the lips of Jesus is a basic, simple command. He says, I want you to do this one thing. Uh, and by this one thing, everybody's going to know that you're my disciples. This is the one thing I want you to do. He doesn't give them a bunch of strategies. He doesn't give them a list of rules. He gives them one very clear thing at the end of his life here. One uh, you know, basic marching uh, instruction before he leaves. And it's so very, very basic. It reminds me of the story of a rabbi. At the end of his life, he was laying in his deathbed, and he's surrounded by all of his his, uh, pupils, and they're sitting around his deathbed waiting for his last words. And he looks at them, and he says, life is like a river. And then he falls down, falls back into the bed, and goes into a coma, and so his disciples were like, life is like a river, what does that mean? So mysterious, and they spent weeks and weeks, uh, you know, trying to figure out, what does it mean? What did he mean when he said, life is like a river? So uh, foggy, what, what is that? And then finally one day, the, the rabbi sat up in bed, for just had a moment left of clarity, and they said, rabbi, what did you mean by life is like a river? We've been trying to figure that out for weeks and weeks, what does it mean, life is like a river? And he looked back at them and he says, huh, maybe life is not like a river, and then he fell back and he died in his (laughs) bed. Well, Jesus is not like that rabbi. Jesus' final words are crystal clear. They're not enigmatic. They're not mysterious. They are simple. They are basic. He says, here is your one job. Here is the one thing I want you to do as my followers. Love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. This is the one mark. This is the one thing that should brand you as my disciples, that you, that you have a love for one another. This is the final thing. And notice what Jesus says here. He says, this is a new commandment. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Now, if you know your Bible, uh, you, it, probably this raises a question because this is not the first time that the people of God have heard to love one another. So, uh, for example, in Leviticus 19 uh, the, uh, Moses gave the command, love your neighbor as yourself. So this is not a new commandment. Uh, this, is, uh, this is, love one another has been around for a very, very long time. And so what does he mean this is a new commandment? What is new about this commandment? Well, at very least, uh, the first thing that make, makes this a new commandment is that he gives love a new priority. He gives relationships He gives uh, love central priority, a new priority uh, for his followers. And so Jesus always talked about love, and he was always simplifying the requirements, right? So there was one time where um, a lawyer came to Jesus, and he said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus, he does something brilliant. He boils down 613 commandments, which... That's how many rules there were in the Old Testament. 613 commandments. He boils them down to two. He says, "Love God and love your neighbor as yourself." On these two laws hang all the law and the laws and the prophets. And so uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, numbers, uh, Isaiah, Zechariah, uh, Ezekiel, uh, they, you can boil all of those, those books down to two simple rules: love God and love others. Here at the end of his life, Jesus boils it down even more. He says, it's not." I'll even make it more simple than that. He says, here is the one thing. Love one another. Love one another, that's it. What does God require of you? That you love one another. So simple. And what he does here is he makes love the most basic priority of the Christian life. This this is what it means to follow Jesus. It's very relational. This is the one thing that he requires of you, that you love one another, that his followers love his other followers. This is it. Paul did this too. So uh, later on in the book of Galatians, Paul says this, all that matters, all that matters is faith working through love. All that matters is love. And then Paul says, you can sum up the whole law, all of the law, all the commandments can be summed up in this one thing, love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul boils it down. There's one place in 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter, where he says, uh, he says you can be gifted, you can have perfect church attendance, you can speak in the tongues of men and angels you can, uh, you can be a martyr. You can give your body to be burned. But if you don't have love, he says, you are nothing. You're like a clanging gong and a banging cymbal, he says. He says, love is it. And he's taking a card from Jesus there. Jesus makes love the absolute priority. And what this means is that relationships are key to following Jesus. Uh, I remember uh, in, in college, I had, a, I had a, religious, a comparative religion class. Scott Barchi was my teacher. I still remember his name. And he had this uh, little, uh, it was a little diagram where he showed the seven ways of being religious. He says, if you look at all the religions in the world, he said there are basically seven different ways that people are religious. And he says all religions don't lead to the same place. There's actually seven main ways of doing it. And, he, and I can't remember all of them, but he says one of them is a, is a pilgrimage. People go on pilgrimage. He says another one is a mystic quest, so mystical experience. He says some people think that religion is all about study, you know, studying the Torah and knowing a lot about it. And then he says, but there's another way. It's community. And he I'll never forget it. He says, in Christianity, the main way of being religious is Relationships. And it all goes back to what Jesus says. This is how all men will know that you are my disciples. It's by looking at your relationships, how you treat one another. He says, a new commandment I give you at the very end, love each other. Love each other. This is the priority. This is, the, this is your one job. Have you Googled, uh, when you get home today, Google, you only had one job. Anybody's seen that website before? You only had one job. And it's people that just have a very simple job to do and they mess it up. And Jesus at the end of his life says, you only have got one job, people. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to have strategic planning. You don't have to have amazing, you know, uh, intellectual ability. You've got one job. Love each other. And so this is why small groups are so crucial. Because where are you going to love one another? Well, there's a lot of different places, but we think that one of of the ways that we can foster that is by getting people into smaller groups, because you can't love a person if you don't know them, right? If you don't know anybody, how you can say that, oh, I love love people, but you don't know if you love people until you actually know people, right? And you can go to church on Sunday and greet people during the announcements time, and you could sit and you could learn a lot, and you can come and go home, but if you don't know another Christian, how are you going to love them? Uh, Dostoevsky in his book Brothers Karamasov uh, there's this one character he's a doctor and the, the doctor he was a humanitarian and he gave money to people in need and, and he said I love people I'm a humanitarian he said I love people but Dostoevsky said the, the funny thing about this doctor is he loved humanity but he couldn't stand to be in the same room with another human he hated people And you can say, oh, yes, I love, oh, the new commandment, I love humanity. Well, how do you know if you love humanity? Well, you've got to know an actual human, Christian, you know, another person. And Jesus says, this is the priority. How do you know that you know God, John says later on? You know that you know God if you love the brethren. The person who does not love their brother or sister, John says, is a liar and the truth is not in them. He says, how do you love your God who you can't see if you don't love your brother who you can see? And what he's saying is that you don't know God unless you love, and and, and you're you're not growing as a Christian unless you're growing in love. Love is the barometer. So that's one reason to sign up for a small group because it's an arena of love. I thought of calling these the love groups, but I thought that would be a bad idea and maybe you know when i go to my small group i'd call it the love shack you know the house that we go to but these are arenas of love which is jesus's priority so he says what makes this commandment new he says i give it a new priority but also jesus gave the commandment a new tangibility a new tangibility cuz notice what jesus says here he says i want you to love one another what do you mean by that jesus love one another He says, I'll tell you what I mean by that. He says, I want you to love one another in verse 34, as I have loved you. You are to love one another. So this commandment had been around for a very, very long time, but in the Old Testament, it was a little bit foggy. What what does it mean to love my neighbor? What does it mean? And Jesus says, let me show you what it means. And Jesus loved his disciples. And we, he gave love a new tangibility, a, a way that we could look and say, "Ah, oh, this, this is what love is like. This is what it means to love somebody. In our culture, we, we are confused about love. You know, a lot of us think that love is a feeling. You know, you say, I fell in love with somebody. Like love hits you like a foul ball hits you or something. You fall into it like a ditch. Right, Love is a feeling that you feel when you feel a feeling that you've never felt before. But Jesus says love is not primarily a feeling. You know, we, we might define love as when you really, really like something. Oh, I love ice cream. <laughs> really like it. I love donuts. And I love my spouse. And I love my kids. You see, we use the same word for all of that. But Jesus says, let me put... Let me give you a picture of what love looks like. And so in his life and in his death, he demonstrates love. He says, I, I'm giving love a new tangibility. At the very beginning of this chapter, he says, I've, he says Jesus loved his disciples and he loved them to the end, every day, in the way that he listened to them, in the way that he served them and the way that he cared for them, and the way that he poured himself out for them, he was showing them what love looks like. Love is tangible. Love does. It doesn't just feel. And then right before he says these words, he gets up from the table where he's eating that meal and he washes the disciples' feet. And he says, what I've done for you, I want you to do that for one another. Love is demonstrable. It's tangible. It's shown through, through sacrificial service of other people. So Jesus gives love a new tangibility. Later on, John picks this up in First John chapter three, verse sixteen to eighteen, and he says, "By this we know love—not or, or, by this that we—by this we know love—that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters." But if anyone has this world's good and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Small groups are an opportunity to love your brothers and sisters in deed and in truth. Anybody could say, "Oh, I love the brethren and sistren." Sistren is that a word? Probably not. Oh yeah, I love humanity, I love my brothers and sisters. But in a small group, these are environments where you actually get to display tangibly your love for other Christians. You know, as you get to know them, you get to practice this this love that Jesus made tangible. In the New Testament, there's a phrase. It's all over the New Testament, and it's the phrase, one another. Can we all say that? One another. This phrase is all the way through the New Testament. There's some 50 50, uh, uses of this particular phrase. And these are tangible ways that Christians can lay down their lives for each other. I'm just gonna name some of them. Uh, At one point it says, we are to bear one another's burdens. Right, if someone's struggling, uh, going through a hard time, we're to help them share that burden. Forgive one another. Just the way that Jesus forgave us, we're supposed to forgive one another. Another one is speak the truth, to one another, don't lie to one another. Don't let people believe things that are not true. Speak the truth, even hard truth, to one another. Honor one another. Give people respect and dignity because they are made in God's image. Honor one another, be devoted to one another, be at peace with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. That's a hard one for a lot of churches. Spur one another on to love and good works. Encourage one another. We are to offer hospitality to one another. We are to pray for one another. Submit to one another. And then uh, finally, we are to greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's do it right now, shall we? No, you can't do that right now because you, know, you may not even know the person next to you. But you see, in a small group, it's an, it's, it's, a, it's an environment where you can practice the one another's. You can show people tangibly what it looks like to, to be loved. Listen. If you don't know another, if you don't know another person, if you if you're not in a vital relationship with them, how how do you love them? How do you get the opportunity to love them? When I was growing up, there was uh, uh, this dates me, but there were, the new thing in churches was having a drive-through service, where people would go to the parking lot and they'd put, you know, like in a drive-through movie, they'd put a little uh, a little uh, speaker, thank you, in their, in their door. They'd listen to the sermon and they would uh, put the speaker back and they'd drive home. They could do church without ever, ever having to even interact with another human being. And, and now we've got online church where you can watch an entire service without ever talking to anybody. And all the introverts are like saying, what? I didn't know that, where can I do that? But where, if you don't know another Christian, if you're not in a small group, if you're not known and if you don't know anybody else, where do you have the opportunity to do the one another's? To tangibly show the love of Jesus to another Christian. Because Jesus says a new commandment I give you and it's new in its tangibility. Don't just love in word only, but in deed and in truth. You do that in a small group. At least we hope you are. Thirdly, he gives this commandment a new visibility. Notice he says, uh, love one another uh, not only as I have loved you, but he says in verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says when, when when, when there's a community like this where people are doing the one another's, forgiving one another, being at peace with one another, bearing one another's burdens, when people know one another well enough to actually get into each other's lives what jesus says is that this becomes a mark this becomes an apologetic for the truth of christianity an apologetic it, that's it's a if you're a lawyer you do apologetics it means you make a case it means you make an argument and jesus is saying here's the case here's the argument for christianity yes you can do it intellectually and you could talk to people, and you can argue with people, but the way people know that you are my disciples is the way that you love one another, tangibly, just the way I loved you. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called The, The Mark of the Christian, and he says love is the final apologetic. It's the final argument. It's love that wins people over to Christianity. And Jesus says when you do this, when you love one another, when you're not just going to a service and learning, when you're not just a learning community, but you're a loving community. He says, oh, people will look at that and they'll want to get into that and what, can you imagine what it would be like if someone says, you know, I may not believe what they believe, but man, I've seen the way they treat one another. They value relationships and they value one another. I've seen the way they forgive one another and, and care for one another. And I may not believe what they believe, but I wouldn't mind if my daughter married one of them. Or, you know, I may not believe what they believe, and I, gosh, this I don't know that I could buy a man raising from the, from the dead, but boy, I wouldn't mind if one of them came and worked for me. They're so honest and they they know what it means to value human beings. You know, I may not believe what they believe, but I wouldn't mind being one of their friends. You see, a community like this becomes attractive because love is the hermeneutic of the gospel. Love is the apologetic of the gospel. Love is the argument that is so incredibly powerful. Acts chapter two, there's a little uh, picture, a little snapshot of the early church. The very, very beginning. And, uh, you know, people were coming to faith, and this community developed, and it said in this community, they were meeting together not only on Sundays, but almost every day of the week. And it says they they were selling their goods and services, and they were sharing their goods with other people who had need. They were liquidating their assets, and they were giving it to others in the community that had need. And it said that day by day, God added to that church people that wanted to be saved. Yes, people wanted in. People wanted into that. They wanted to be a part of that. And Jesus says, this is the mark, this is the brand, this is how people will know that you are my disciples, not by your, the incredible music at your services, not by your programs, not by the amazing sermons, uh, but by the way you love one another. That is Powerful. Gandhi tells a story. He was, uh, it was early in his life, and he was really attracted to the teachings of Jesus, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. He just thought, this guy, Jesus laid out a compelling vision. And then when he uh, went went away to law school, he, in, in England, he actually decided to visit a church. And when he visited that church, they saw that he was black, and they said, you can't come in here. And he was so turned off by that that he never went back to the church. And he said, you know, if they would just do what Jesus told them to do, boy, it would make such a big difference. And love is the apologetic. Love is incredibly powerful. When people see us doing this, they want to get in. Years ago, this was when I first got here to fellowship, there was a couple that came, and uh, her name was Leslie and uh, Leslie and Bobby, and um, it was the first wedding I did. They, were, they wanted to get married. She, they were brand new to Christianity, and uh, they had this little girl. They wanted to get married, so I married them. Um, and uh, about three months later, Bobby got cancer. And so he died literally three months after they got married. And it, it was the first wedding I did here. It was the first funeral I did here. And what I remember about that, it was a very sad time, but what I remember is going to Bobby's hospital room down in Little Rock, and their entire small group was there in the room. It was packed with people. And they were taking turns, you know, being with Leslie as she was sitting by the side of Bobby. I mean, this was just this powerful thing. And they were all there, you know, in the hospital room for days while he was uh, suffering, and after this was all over, after I did the funeral, uh, her parents started coming to our church. And they, were, they had gone to a church that was so different than this, it was traditional, it wasn't like this, it wasn't modern like this church, and they went to a membership class, and then I had an interview with them, and I said, why do you want to join our church? And I was thinking, you, you know, I was hoping they'd say, well, the sermons, of course, they're so good. They didn't say the sermons, they didn't say the music, they didn't say the programs, they didn't say the buildings. They said, you know what, when Bobby was dying, we saw your people in the hospital room. And They just said, we, we had to go check it out. Because love is incredibly powerful. And the church is a family. You know, all of us kind of naturally love our own family, but you know what's really powerful is when you love people that are not flesh and blood. There's one uh, therapist, he says this. He says, family is a group of people that possesses and implements an irrational commitment to the well-being of one another. Family is a group of people that possesses and implements an irrational commitment to the well-being of one another. And this is what Leslie and Bobby's parents saw. They said, wow, this, that doesn't make sense, but I want it. And like we said at the beginning, people are lonely in this world. And when they look at a community, that has, a community that has life and that are loving one another and that know one another, that's a powerful thing. Finally, Jesus gives the commandment a, a new power. I think that w- one of the last things that's new about this is there's a new power to obey this command. So you might be here thinking, you know, Brent, I, I'm just not good at relationships. I'm not good at loving people. You know, maybe you grew up in a family of origin that just didn't do this well. And yeah, love is a learning process. I mean, part of, part of being part of a small group is that you're learning how to do this well. Many of you are insensitive, you know, and you're selfish, and you just don't know how to love. And you're saying, I just don't know how to do this. Well, so one thing that Jesus gives us is a, is a new power to do what he's asking us to do. When he says a new commandment, that I give you, love one another. When he says, as I have loved you, that's not only a model, but a power for love. Because you cannot love until you are loved. And what Jesus Christ does is he comes into the world and he loves us well. He shows us what it looks like and he does it for us. You are loved. He loves his own to the end. He laid down his life for you. John, later on, 1 John, he says, no greater love that does a man have than this. Um, actually, that, this, that's not right. <laughs> that's John, the book of John. But he says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we could become the children of God. You are loved. Um, a couple nights ago, I was praying for my oldest boy. And... Um, I don't know why I was praying for him specifically, but I was just praying that God would just let him know that he's loved. That he would just know that he'd be filled up with the love of God. That he would know the love that God has bestowed upon him. Because you cannot love until you are filled up with love. What's interesting is at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus, it it says he stood up from the table to wash his disciples' feet. And it says he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He knew that he was God's. He knew that he was loved. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going. And you cannot love until you know where you came from and you know where you are going. And the gospel says this is where you came from. You are redeemed. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are a child of God, and you know where you're going. You're gonna be in your father's house forever and ever. And that fills you up, and it gives you the power and the ability to love people the way you've been loved by God. And Moulin Rouge was right. The greatest thing you will ever learn is to know that you are loved and to love in return. This is it, guys. This is it. This is the marching orders. This is your one job. You only have got one job. It's to to value one another and treat one another with a love that just amazes people on the outside. And so this is why we do small groups. I know there's a lot of ways that you can love people, but you know we 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 think that that the the way, we've got to get people together in relationships if this is going to happen. And so if you're not part of a group, I want to encourage you today to uh, check out our list, uh, tear off the tab, and put it in the in the offering box. We would love to see you guys connected. Let's pray, Father. We um, thank you, Lord, for uh, this final a set of instructions that you give us, uh, this final commandment, a new commandment, new in tangibility, new in priority, new in visibility, new in the power that you give us to do it. And God, I pray that we uh, here at Fellowship might be a, a community that, that displays tangibly uh, this new love that you ask us to have. God, fill us, uh, give us courage, Lord, to get into each other's lives, and I pray that We might be different. Uh, Give us the power, we pray, to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.